Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I want to start this evening by telling a story, um, well not a story, just actually giving you some information about something. There's a story by Mark Twain, and Mark Twain isn't generally a, a really good guy to read because he was not a believer and he was often very anti-Christ. But he wrote some, some very interesting stories, and there's one that I very much like about a preacher who's trained in a seminary and he goes away and he takes a job in a very rough mining town and he has all these rough and tumble miners who, you know, work in the mines and fight for a living. That's what they do. And so he's, he's in this exchange with a miner when one of the other miners that everybody likes suddenly dies. He's in an exchange with a miner about, uh, about the funeral that they want him to perform for their friend. But he's trained, you know, very classically, doesn't understand the lingo. And so the whole story starts off with this talking past each other, one saying this thing, and the, I don't catch you, you know, back and forth and back and forth, and it's comical. But one of the things that the, that the miner that's talking to him often says is, Irish need not apply. Irish need not apply. Have any of you ever heard that phrase before? Okay. Well, this comes from a long history of, of prejudice and... Uh, difficulty and trouble between Ireland and England. And so uh, there's, there's just been difficulty for hundreds of years there. And it actually carries over and carried over even to the time of the great immigration of many Irish people to the United States. And so if you, if you know about the struggle between Ireland and England, you know that it still exists today, that, that there still is an Irish Republican army and that I think it's, it's classified by the English government as a terrorist group, okay? So there still is this conflict. But it was a common thing at one time when, uh, when there was great prejudice against the Irish that statements like Irish need not apply or no Irish need apply. So it was called the Inna or the... Uh, no Irish, the Nina, okay? No Irish need apply, Irish need not apply. And they would put this even in advertisements for jobs. So, Jeremy, would you put it up there? Here's an advertisement from New York after a lot of immigration into the United States. And you see where it says it's, that the guy is selling a horse eight years old and a saddle ridden by a lady. Also, a young man is wanted from 16 to 18 for working no Irish need apply. You see it? Okay, they're, they're just saying, don't bother. Don't bother if you're Irish. It's a kind of prejudice that we can see in many places in our lives. You can get rid of that, Jeremy. We have prejudice about race. We have prejudice about custom. We have prejudice about socioeconomic status. Prejudice about religion prejudice between families, and these prejudices are motivated by fears, resentments, pride, and it's nothing new. 
If you read the Bible very quickly, you can find these kinds of things in the pages of Scripture. Two of them that I think of right away are uh, Joseph when he is in Egypt and he is second under Pharaoh, right? And his brothers come into town. And what does it say in Genesis 43 when his, his brothers come and he's serving, they're getting served a meal? It says he sits by himself, his brothers sit over here, and then it says the Egyptians sat over there by themselves because they did not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians, right? That means it's abhorrent. They don't want anything to do with the Hebrews. And here's Joseph, and he's like the number two guy in the country. They won't even eat with him, right? Or we know, are familiar with, in the book of Galatians, when Peter goes to Antioch. And as he's in Antioch, he's fine, he's eating with the Gentiles, and it's all good. He's buddy-buddy with everybody until some Jews come down from Jerusalem or come up from, from Jerusalem, and they are, they're starting to uh, worship and meet with the, uh, the, the church there in Antioch, and Peter is convinced by them to stop sitting with the Gentiles and eating. And so they go off and sit by themselves, and Paul Paul rebukes him for it. He says, you, you guys have even led uh, Barnabas astray. He's been carried off by your hypocrisy. Okay? But they were separating. There was uh, a prejudice. There was a pride. Maybe a fear. And our text this evening is from Luke 15, and it speaks to that very issue. So let's read together. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now the chapter goes on, and what follows this in the chapter? Well, what follows it is the the account or the, the story of the prodigal son. And again, he's talking, remember, to the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're commenting on the fact that he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And so he says, okay, if a sheep goes astray, wouldn't you be glad if you found it? If a coin is lost, wouldn't you be glad? Wouldn't you work hard to to find the coin again? And then he goes on to the prodigal son, and he talks about the prodigal son. And you're familiar with the account, the story of the prodigal son, right? You're familiar with that, and you're familiar with the reality that at the end, the brother is upset that the father is so happy about the prodigal coming home that he has a party. 
And the brother says, you never had, let me have a party with my friends. And he's resentful of the fact that the father is glad. Well, dad, this guy took the money and he squandered it on prostitutes and loose living. And you never let me have a party. And so the Pharisees are angry with Jesus because he's not, he's not fulfilling their expectations. He's not sharing their prejudice. And in this chapter, we're allowed to see the heart of God toward those who've been alienated from him. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And he starts in much the same ways. He starts in the previous chapter, chapter 14, because in that chapter, Jesus is in front of the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers. And in that chapter, there's a man who, who is uh, sick, and it's the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you know, should I heal the man? And he heals the man. They're angry for him healing the man. And he says, what one of you, if, if his son or if his ox fell into a pit, wouldn't pull him out on the Sabbath? It's the same type of situation. The same kind of prejudice, the same kind of pride, the same kind of resentment, the same kind of aloofness, the same lack of love. Well, sure, I'd pulled the ox out of the ditch, is what they're thinking. Why do they respond this way, the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, in their minds, Jesus' actions were tantamount to a British soldier sitting down for dinner with a member of the Irish Republican Army. Do you understand? Or us having a meal with ISIS. That's what it was like to them. They're watching Jesus and they're so opposed to him having any interaction with these people that they just are, they're just flabbergasted by it. They would not have anything to do with tax collectors and sinners. They were proud They loved to be honored and to have special attention. They were resentful. They didn't like the fact that the sinners were receiving good things from God. They were prejudiced because they didn't want Jesus to have anything to do with those people or their kind. They were afraid. They thought, we'll be contaminated. These people contaminate you. Don't you realize? Just being around them is is contaminating. It was as if the Pharisees had a bumper sticker, if they had bumper stickers at that time. And the bumper sticker said what? Sinners need not apply. Sinners need not apply. No sinners need apply. And that was their mentality. And so here at the launch of an initiative to love Bloomington with the gospel, we face the same struggle in our hearts as the Pharisees and the scribes faced. Some of us are proud. Perhaps all of us are somewhat proud. Some of us are always proud. All of us are sometimes proud. And so you think about Matthew 21 where Jesus talks about the man who had two sons and he said, he, had, he said to the first son, go out and work in the vineyard. And the son says, I will not. And he says to the second, but, but then he says, uh, he says, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and he went. And so he says to the second the same thing, go out and work in the, in the vineyard. And he says, I will, sir, but then he doesn't. And then he says, which of the two did the will of their father? 
And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. You Pharisees, you scribes, you lawyers. The tax collectors and the prostitutes will get in before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him and repented. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. In other words, even seeing the reality of the repentance of people who were living in sin, coming to life, your heart didn't change, and you didn't feel remorse. Some of us are resentful, and we're all tempted with this from time to time. Proverbs 23:17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord. And it's often the case that we envy sinners. I wonder about the prodigal son's older brother. I wonder when he said, he went off and he squandered your wealth with prostitutes and loose living. I wonder if in his mind, he wasn't saying more than just, I didn't get a party with my friends. If he wasn't saying, I didn't get to go squander with prostitutes and loose living. I wonder if he didn't envy the wicked. Okay? And so he's resentful about it. And it's true for us. We're tempted to envy the wicked and to envy the things that they do. And so we kind of build up this barrier between us and them so that we can, you know, it's a fail-safe to help us with our envy or we resent them. Some of us are prejudiced. We're prejudiced. Jesus spoke at one time, and we look down on other people. Jesus spoke at one time on the occasion when some folks had died at the hand of Pilate. And so it says on the occasion where some present, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices in Luke 13. And Jesus says, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so we see a picture into the news of the day, right? Pilate had killed a bunch of people. A tower had fallen and killed 18 people, right? And so what does he say? Are you better than them? Are you prejudiced against them? Do you see them as different than you? No, no. And so we have that same temptation. We have the temptation to look at people around us and think, okay, they're worse sinners than we are. I'm going to get more to this later on, but they're worse sinners than we are, and so we're better. We're prejudiced. Remember, we're working on becoming like Jesus. We're working on eating with Pharisees, or I'm sorry, with sinners and tax collectors, right? We're working on 
giving ourselves to loving our neighbors and those around us. Some of us are fearful of contamination. Some of us are fearful of contamination. And so Jesus in Luke 10 gives the account of the Good Samaritan, right? And he talks about a Samaritan. Well, what does he say first? The man is robbed and he's laying on the side of the road and a priest comes by. And what does the priest do? The priest is walking this way and there's the man and the priest crosses across the road and continues walking. He doesn't even want to be contaminated by the man sitting on the side of the road. And then a Levite, same thing. He's walking this way, and suddenly he becomes European, and he gets on the other side of the road, on the left side, right? And so we are often afraid that, it's, that interaction with sinners and interaction with those around us is going to contaminate us. This was the reservation of the Pharisees, I think. I think it was their biggest reservation. I think it was fear. But it was also pride. It was also resentment. It was also prejudice. But I think they were fearful of contamination. They'd gotten to a point where they saw their lives as, as somehow that they were towing the line, that they were making it. And if they got involved with these other people, they were afraid that they would be contaminated by them. After all, tax collectors and sinners do what? They break the law, right? But the Pharisees and the scribes don't break the law, right? Okay, let's try it again. The tax collectors and sinners break the law. Anybody disagree with that? Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, do they break the law? Absolutely. But they, but they were self-righteous. They saw themselves wrongly. And it made them worthless to loving the people around them. Worthless. Because they were, they were righteous in their own minds, but not in reality. And so this brings me to an operating principle I want you to think about. If we think that we are clean because of our own righteousness we will think that others can defile us. If we think that we are clean because of our own righteousness, we will think that others can defile us by interaction with them. And therefore, we will isolate ourselves in a falsely secure cocoon. And that's what the Pharisees did. They built this cocoon around themselves. It was their false security. And they were, they were in there. They didn't have to deal with those people. Because those people would contaminate them. Those people would drag them down. What does the scripture say about unbelieving people? What's the most intimate relationship that people can have on this, in this world? Come on. Marriage, the most intimate relationship. And what does the Holy Spirit tell us about a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse in a marriage? What what does the Spirit say to us about that? It says that the unbelieving spouse does not, does not harm the believing spouse. 
that it's good to continue in that relationship. Even in the most intimate relationship that men can have, marriage, you cannot be contaminated by just being in association with your husband or your wife if they're an unbeliever. But that's not what we think. What we think in this world and what we think in our lives is that it's so easy for us and, and, so, and so, clear note church, it comes to us in all kinds of ways. It comes to us through our children. We're worried about our children and so let's build this cocoon so our children will be safe. We're worried about all kinds of things that could happen to us We're worried about interaction and what it would mean. We're worried about the temptation we may face. And so let's build a cocoon so that we're safe, so that we're safe. But listen, what what causes us to build that cocoon is that we forget what we have received. Did you look at the songs that we sang tonight? It was interesting. In the cross of Christ thy glory, all I have is Christ. Oh, love that will not let me go. You sensing a theme there? I have, do we have a song called, I have done the right thing? I'm a pretty good Joe. Jody, you could write that. I'm a pretty good Jody. Now, we're singing songs and they're all about the reality of Christ and his work and mercy and grace toward us, and the work that he does to deliver us, and the work that he does to wash us and make us clean. The fact is that we, as sinners, applied to Christ. We came to Christ. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He's talking to a crowd. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So what is Jesus saying? No sinners need apply? He says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And so we look at it, and we're afraid. We, who have applied ourselves to Christ, are afraid to interact with others who have not yet applied to Christ for themselves. And it's silly, because this posture is, uh, is a, this place of applying to Christ is a place that uh, uh, we're not supposed to leave. This is where we're supposed to stay all the time. We're supposed to stand under the fountain. You don't get in the shower, stand under it for a second, and then hop back out and, you know, put soap on and, and stand there while the water just runs in the shower. And then what? You just stand there. Then you put your clothes on and you leave, right? I don't want you to take this too far. But the reality is we get in the shower, we stand in the water, and we, we let the water wash away the filth from our bodies, And when we come to Christ and apply to him, we stand in Christ 
and we continue in Christ, and we allow him to continually wash us and make us clean and apply his grace to us that is renewed and renewed every morning and given to us every day. And if we're there, and we look to the neighbor who hasn't applied to Christ, why should we be afraid as we're enveloped in that? Why should we be afraid to look to them and say, the water's good. Come on in. Apply to Christ. Apply to Christ. Place yourself under his mercy. This is our asset, church. Our asset is that we live in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You know, Lisa was talking about being out in the, uh, where did you say you were out in the field or somewhere behind the house or, and you fell on your knees and you said, here I am. You remember my name, right? And all she was doing was once again applying to Christ. And she remembers that. But my guess is Lisa remembers many times when she made application to God and he brought her grace and delivered her. And my guess is that if you have been in faith and believed in Christ, you have many times applied to him and have received from him grace and mercy. It's true of me. John Bunyan, in his testimony to his church, is writing, and it's, he titles it, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, a brief and faithful rev- relation of the exceeding mercy of God in Christ to his poor servant, John Bunyan. Right? And then he talks about standing in the mercy and grace of Jesus. So he says, It is profitable for Christians to be often calling to mind the very beginnings of grace with their souls. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations, Exodus 12:42. Oh my God, says David, Psalm 42, 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites and from the hill of Mizar, He remembered also the lion and the bear when he went to fight with the giant of Gath. It was Paul's accustomed manner and that when tried for his life ever to open before his judges the manner of his conversion, he would think of that day and that hour in which he first did meet with grace for he found its support unto him. In this discourse, he says, In this discourse of mine, you may see much, much, I say, of the grace of God towards me. I thank God I can count it much, for it was above my sins and Satan's temptations too. I can remember my fears and doubts and sad months with comfort. They are as the head of Goliath in my hand. There was nothing 
There was nothing to David like Goliath's sword, even that sword that should have been sheathed in his bowels. For the very sight and remembrance of that did preach forth God's deliverance to him. Oh, the remembrance of my great sins, of my great temptations, and of my great fears of perishing forever. They bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of my great help, my great support from heaven, and the great grace that God extended to such a wretch as I. My dear children, he's writing to his church, my dear children, call to mind the former days and the years of ancient times. Remember also your songs in the night and commune with your own heart. Yea, look diligently and leave no corner therein unsearched, for there is, for there is treasure hid even the treasure of your first and second experience of the grace of God toward you. Remember, I say, the word that first laid hold upon you. Remember your terrors of conscience and the fear of death and hell. Remember also your tears and prayers to God. Yes, how you sighed under every hedge for mercy. Have you never a hill mizar to remember like David? Have you forgot the close, which I think means closet, have you forgot the close, the milk house, the stable, the barn, and the like, where God does visit your soul? Remember also the word, the word I say upon which the Lord hath caused you to hope. So, have you forgotten the milk house? Now, how many of you have ever been in a milk house? Okay, not many. We don't have many milk houses operating these days, right? But Lisa remembers the yard. And I have told you, many of you, about my, my woodlot experience, right? You have places where God has met you with his mercy. That's where we stand when we're reaching out to others. There's nothing that interaction with our lost neighbors and family members and friends there's nothing that that can do to us who stand in the favor of Jesus Christ. But there is much that our communication of the favor of Jesus Christ can do for them. Okay? And so, what kind of bumper sticker you got on? Sinners need not apply? That's the question for us. If that's what it is, it's time to peel it off. Whatever it takes, just peel that thing off. Let's get that off of us. And let's find ourselves loving those who are around us just as Christ has loved us. Let's find ourselves identifying with this Jesus who would eat with tax collectors and sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you tonight that you will do this work in our hearts, that you will cause us to live by faith, and that we will remember regularly the grace that you have given to us in the past and that you continue to pour out on us. And in that context, Father, that we'll declare to our family members, our friends, our neighbors, the lost around us, the sinners around us, sinners like us, that we'll declare to them the riches of Jesus Christ who does not, the Christ who does not turn away sinners who come to him. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.